Hi there, and welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible. And that's okay. I'm Megan. And I'm Hillary. And today we are going to talk, in a lighter note, instead of how the police and the corruption of our justice system, we're going to talk about something lighter, as in the silence of the lamb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a fun, happy movie about how the police in this job, in this film do their job successfully and uh, prevent the death of a woman. Uh, by, and by death, I mean skinning her alive. It's pretty exciting uh, in, in that it's completely and totally unrealistic. Um, they wouldn't have helped her. No, no, man, not at all. Uh, so uh, Silence of the Lambs was released in 1991, February of 91. Oh, and so it is before yeah, I was born. Before you were born. I was alive. I was a whole... Like, like almost a year. <laughs> not, not quite a year, but almost a year. Um, and uh, Silence of the Lambs has one of the few distinctions. It's the only Oscar-winning uh, film, so best picture, to ever be considered a horror film. And, I mean, I, I would absolutely consider Silence, especially by 1991 standards. No, is it is it Freddy Krueger, Jason horror? No, but it's absolutely the kind of horror that if you walked in at, at five and your mom was watching Silence of the Lambs, she'd press pause on the VHS and be like, get the fuck out! <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it's 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 a really really wonderful film with regards to so it has to do with uh, Hannibal Lecter who is now uh, they've just re-released uh, Hannibal from the NBC series on Netflix so I'm certain everyone's becoming very well acquainted with that but uh, that series and this movie are both based on uh, 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 Thomas Harris novels. Uh, Red Dragon, uh, Hannibal, Silence of the Lambs, things like that. These are all books written by Thomas Harris. And uh, it, it deals with a FBI trainee, uh, somebody who's still in Quantico, still learning, Clarice Starling. And over the course of the film, uh, they're meant to capture or it's a manhunt for a serial killer that is colloquially known as Buffalo Bill. And uh, during the course of the film, he kidnaps a woman and uh, you see his his process of, of how he goes about being a sick twisted person i guess it was a safer bet to just create a serial killer than to use one of the real ones in the real world because i feel like in general whenever you've seen a movie that's based off of a real serial killer it's just never i, I mean for me i love true crime and in my head i've just created these horrifying pictures and films just will never do it justice because i think it would be inappropriate to yeah no i um i completely agree with you and often oftentimes they kind of bridge the gap by uh, amalgamating certain aspects of different serial killers. Like, you know the concept, like, stranger than fiction? Like, sort of, like, this is too, like, too gruesome and too real to be, like, like the real-life event seems like it's fictional. Yes, like, oh yeah, absolutely. But I mean, that's the case in, I think that's the one thing about true crime that I can always realize. Like, whenever I listen to a podcast and they're like, so where did she go? And I'm like, bitch, it could be anything. We are literally dealing with a fucking field of answers. <laughs> exactly. Mara Murray, anyway. <laughs> where, who killed John Bonet? Honestly, it could be fucking anyone. Um, we, we are can't not technically we, say it out loud though can't. because it's it's illegal we will get sued that's <laughs> such bullshit anyway point is is that um so like in so like jeffrey dahmer is like a really good example i think of something of somebody who is you like i remember the first time i read the wikipedia article i was like i'm not doing i'm not busy at work and i was just like scrolling through and <laughs> i just it, I, I was like he did what wait no 
they were and like the way that Jeffrey Dahmer was caught. I'm like, this sounds like some fucking SNL skit. (laughs) Yeah, it's like. No, it's just after a while you you read these things. Um, I dated a girl in high school and she had an encyclopedia of serial killers. And um, yeah, and I don't um, I don't know why it's it's definitely not a normal thing for anyone to own or for anyone's (laughs) husband to get them as a Christmas gift. It's not. I would never do that. (laughs) So it's a a fairly common present. And the Dahmer the Dahmer entry. I remember like I was flipping through them. You know, there were some really horrifying ones in there. And the Dahmer entry was really long because he killed a lot of people he really and- did he like he truly truly did and like um so with uh with buffalo bill in this movie i mean he has aspects of Dahmer, i think in a sense but he's like like that's the thing is you're right he's this amalgamation of of bits and pieces of every uh like not every serial killer but like very famous ones specifically yeah he's he's ed gein definitely he is um he's got Dahmer in him the whole, um, the transgender angle is definitely based on the Unabomber because at one point, um, uh, I always forget his name. Um, he went in for a, like, um, what they were calling back, it's a gender affirmation surgery, but yes. they were calling it a sex change surgery back yeah. then. He signed up to be, to have one of those and he withdrew last minute. And they think that that's what motivated him to start killing. I mean, it's it's interesting. I think a lot of like, because I mean, BTK was ended up being caught, you know, 13 years after this movie was released. But uh, BTK also had similar traits in the sense that BTK had a lot of dys- uh, dysphoria with regards to, uh, you know, his gender and, and his identity and everything like that. And it's just something that like, like one of the biggest issues I think that a lot of people have with Silence of the Lambs is that the, 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 the rhetoric of, you know, how they all refer to Bill and like what and like, especially with regards to Hannibal and things like that. And I think that you're losing, you're, 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 you're not seeing the forest through the trees type situation. And it's less, it's less about um, what Bill's gender identity is or how he identifies. And it's more about the fact that, you know, this is, this is meant to be like kind of a, 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 a serial killer, you know, case study almost in the sense that, you know, what goes on from the perspective of the victim and from the perspective of the serial killer when they know they're not being like hunted like you know automatically like we can't know what ted bundy was doing in between you know kidnapping and killing women we just know he killed them we don't know how long they were there or how long it took them to die or same thing with like ed kemper all this stuff i mean well ed kemper talked for seventy five thousand years and he's still doing it so they say girl we know exactly what happened like hey guys hey one more more time who wants to hear the story about how i killed my mom everyone's like ed you yeah we're good just sit down buddy (laughs) whereas like with other with other serial killers you never get that story and Kemper's really truly just very odd in that sense but but um the same, so with Buffalo Bill he's he's killed at the end of the film because you know that that intense scene where you have it in night vision and if you're you know a teenager in 2003 and you're watching this you're like this is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life or you're like me 22 on the couch using Netflix for the first time and you fall asleep halfway to through at two o'clock in the morning and you go was that a horror film <laughs> Uh, yeah, I watched uh, my latest viewing of the film was like during it was like at noon. Um, like, I, I watched it like I, I watch like so for me, I like listening to things like as I do work because it's just something like music. I'll start like jamming out to. So I was putting I was I put on and the soundtrack for uh, for Silence of the Lambs is very like ambient kind of, you know, and, and you just you're like, ah, something sounds like it's happening. Ah, uh, Nothing happened. Um, yeah, basically. 
Um, and it's just it's just a really really good. Uh, I mean, it's a very well paced movie. I think that um, I don't think that there could have been, and this is sort of. Um, this is, I guess this is kind of commentary on the sort of, and we'll get to later, because you and I have talked about how sort of like, um, how Buffalo Bill's transgender identity is kind of secondary to the fact that um, that they're kind of like psychotic and awful. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, but exactly. It, it's sort of like, this is, the on, this is the only way that this like, quote unquote, like freakish character can go, like there's no jail time for this person. Like, you know, they have to die, like. I um I mean it's a cleaner ending in the sense that uh, they don't like literally all they would have to do is like have the FBI come in zip up the body bag and for the writer it'd be like and uh, Clarice graduates the end because for the, the at least for for Thomas Harris's novels Buffalo Bill like just like Red Dragon Red the Red the Great Red Dragon is not your main character he's your antagonist in a sense but Hannibal Lecter is your go to guy that is the person who the uh, reader is invested in or in the case of this the watcher. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly, it made for, you're right, it made for, like, a cleaner ending, and it, uh, I, I liked the night vision aspect. I thought it was, like, like, back when I first saw it, when I was, like, oh, God, I, I watched this movie way too early. I was so young. I was, like, 11 when I first saw this movie. I didn't see this movie until I was 22, as, like I said, on Netflix, and I actually saw, so, in New York, uh, they had Hannibal, like, abridged or whatever, and it was a musical of Silence of the Lambs. No, it's called Silence the Musical. Silence the Musical. That's it. Thank it's you. A com- it's a com- No, sorry. The only reason I know is I used to pass it all the time. I've seen it. It's I'm great. Like- it's hysterical. It's in the middle of an auditorium, like, like, a black box theater in, like, a high school, and you're just like, this is great, because it's... It's just like, it's very much like a bunch of people got together who loved Silence of the Lambs way too much and made the same 55 jokes all the time. And they were like, we're going to make a musical out of it. And they did. And it's great. Um, Like one of my favorite scenes is so uh, the woman who plays Catherine and her mother, Senator Martin, Mm -hmm. um, she, so when she's at the scene, so in the movie, there's a scene where, where, um, Clarice and her classmates are looking at the TV and and Senator Martin's on screen and she just keeps saying Catherine's name over and over again. And in the musical, she's just like, Catherine, Catherine, and like over and over and over again. And it's great because it's like, I had never seen Silence of the Lambs and I was like, this is hysterical. This is so much fun. I, I wish that I had seen it during its run and I'm really disappointed that I didn't see it during its run because I, I saw this movie when I was really young and it like... It's scary when you're, like, a preteen. Yeah, I would say it's definitely, like, over the years, it's become less scary. But I also think that's because it's been co-opted a lot by different pop media things. Oh, yeah. Like, there was was no way anyone was going to take Goodbye Horses seriously ever again after Clerks 2 was released. They were like, we're done. (laughs) Nobody's taking this serious ever again. Like... That fucking killed me. That it's, was like <laughs> it's great because like it's it's truly like that's the thing is it like like that's it's a really good analogy I think using the like Jay from Jay and Silent Bob like being like would you fuck me I'd fuck me I'd fuck me hard because it's not it's not so much that that uh, uh, Jamie or you know Buffalo Bill wishes that he was a woman or anything like that Lecter says it earlier on in the film it's more like he thinks he's the hottest fucking human in the world and he just wants to you know like have a different body possibly so that he can fuck himself or something it's just it's like some weird 
insane shit in his own brain and to like tear it apart who's a fictional character who's not real who we can't really enter the mind of it's just it's fun to hypothesize but other than that like it's the same way you'd be like so what's like what's the true like it, like I think a lot of people has, have hypothesized about like what Clarice is in terms of her sexuality and stuff and I think in the end it's just about like Clarice is just like what, she's like 23 or something like that right early 20s yeah she's she's like she's like her early she's early 20s probably like fresh out of undergrad like going yeah. into the academy so she's 22 or 23 and her sexuality i think what i love most about the film is that her sexuality is never like yeah you're gonna get guys hitting on her left and right because she's in a male-dominated field and men especially in the 90s it was just like if you have a woman in your office and she's trying to you know be on the same level as your as your men it's just like we have to diminish her by hitting on her. And I think Clarice never used her sexuality or her like her, her identity as whatever she identified as in any way, shape or form. She really uh, like that's what I think I love a lot about Clarice is that I just see her as Clarice. I don't see her in any relationship with any of the characters. I saw. Yeah, I saw her as like a primarily kind of asexual character. Like, yeah, especially with regards to like her past and the things that she is haunted by I don't think that like she's necessarily had like a regular development anyway that would allow for her to like process relationships so yeah absolutely she is like as you said like solely into her work and it's really interesting um because uh there's another there's another movie that um Jodie Foster is in um, called a very long engagement, and she she's very sexual in that movie. And like I watched those movies like back to back when I was like younger, and it was just so weird to like see the range, like to see a very like young Jodie Foster, well youngish Jodie Foster, but yeah. like and then this like older sensual woman, and. Uh, I mean, it speaks to her her ability to act, though, because I think, like, so one of the of the prime examples that I can think of in the movie where, like, she's just brushing aside sexual... Actually, it's, like, 35 examples in this film. Um, yeah. But one of them is... is uh, so, like, she has... So she has Migs, like, legitimately, legitimately ejaculate on her face. It's fucking gross. And oh, my God. For me, like, oh, my God. I've had... I've, I've had some really nasty shit happen to me, like, as, like, a teenager, you know, living in New York. You've, uh, you know, you, you have crazy guys who will just start jacking off in front of you, like... Like you're not a child and you'll that's, be like ah, I've happened go. to me <laughs> I it happened to me too and it's like I've had you know dudes just like like on Halloween dudes will be like flashing and shit and like it's it's a crazy place um in terms of like you know being a, a young girl and like with with um with that scene particularly so she gets you know she gets uh, he, he violently ejaculates on her face and she's just like she's just taken aback she's just disgusted by the act of it and uh and then she you know like Hannibal I guess in that moment he decides like okay I trust her and maybe it's because like you know uh like and, and Anthony Hopkins is a phenomenal actor in literally everything he's ever, I've ever seen him in. But it's just like, it's so weird that at that moment was when Hannibal's like, okay, I'm going to give you something that'll help you out. And it's because Migs decided to do that action to her. And like, it's, and, and I mean, she still uses it to her advantage. And like, there's a lot of stuff that happens, like, like uh, later on when she interviews Hannibal again, he starts talking about how Jack Crawford wants to fuck her. And she's like, that's just, that's something I expect from Migs. Like she dismisses it in such a way that's 
like so suited to the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's it's just like the best kind of you know dismissant. It's it's basically saying like I expected better of you. Obviously, you're not one to talk about base sexual needs. And Hannibal's like, well, well, I mean, of course, like, <laughs> and it's it's great because she's so hyper intelligent in terms of not just her her knowledge of law and case law and things like that. She's also super street smart and an inability to like communicate with criminals and like not just criminals but psychopaths who are murderers you know yeah okay i have a question i have a question about clarice and this is um sort of upon my viewing yes and i think it could be taken either way but i want to hear your perspective on this absolutely do you think she's a mary sue (sighs) that's a that's a really that's a legit (laughs) that's a legit question no i don't think so i think mary sue's um personally i i think with Mary Sue's, like, it's just something that they'll they'll self-insert and, like, yeah, she is the hero of the story and she does, you know, take down the big bad guy at the end. But I also think that in general, um, like, I think it's just that she's a female agent in the FBI and that's it. Like, I uh, I was watching an interview with someone uh, who, like, they were, they were, you know, talking about the... Uh, the, the 20 year sorry the 20 the 30 year anniversary of silence of lambs is coming up next year and uh they were no you're no i'm not turning 30 next year <laughs> it's happening hill i'm sorry <laughs> um, i have some bad news for you from the current time i'm 30 um, <laughs> anyway and so but they were so there's this scene after migs uh ejaculates on her and she's just like chilling out by her car and she just has a breakdown and uh they had interviewed an fbi like somebody who a woman who worked in the fbi i don't believe she was working there anymore and she said like no legit that's that is how it is to be a woman in the fbi you have to put up this really really strong facade it is that you are not on the same level as men like you're never going to be treated on the same level as a male fbi agent will be and you have to be even stronger than you think you're supposed to be because you nobody you can't let anyone see you cry type situation and like i mean her constant sexualization by literally every person and then except for jack crawford who doesn't sexualize her but he demeans her like in in several ways and he points it out even he's like he's like when i said we had to talk outside of the room away from you it was just you know because they're podunk sheriffs and then she looks at him in the eyes and she goes it's the message that matters and i don't think that's necessarily like a mary sue thing to say i think mary sues are more self-inserted characters that you're like you know um it's more that that there's they can do no wrong and like in that scene particularly when he went to take the sheriff off to the side she would have been like i'm fine with listening to this and walked in and joined in on the con like on the con- conversation yeah and I-, I think that i think the idea of not disrespecting your supervisor is also something inherent to the fbi not disrespecting your superior and that has nothing to do with he's a man i'm a woman i have to respect him it has to do with he's several levels ahead of me and i'm still a trainee yeah. And I, that's why I feel like she's not so much a Mary Sue as she's a whole fleshed out person. Yeah. I think the I think the only the only reason like the question kind of popped into my head was the fact that she is still a trainee and being assigned like I mean with the whole team of course but yeah. like she's still she's like singled out as this and it seems like a creator's it seems like a Wesley Crusher kind of situation like from from Star Trek the Next Generation I don't know mm-hmm. do you, are you familiar with that Oh no and that's the Will Wheaton character right Yeah the Will Wheaton character basically he became the creator's pet and like every single episode kind of centered around him I mean it's like not a congruent example but like it just it just struck me like I just kind of took it 
like when I first watched it and with subsequent watchings, I took it as sort of like a given and a normal thing. But like since uh, my analytical gears were on like this latest watch, I was kind of like, hmm, that seems a little. So I actually have something to say. So with regards to Hannibal, the TV show now, Jack Which Crawford is. I have by... not seen. Oh, it's OK. This isn't too much of a spoiler. It's, okay. it's more of a speaks to Jack Crawford and, and Thomas Harris's books in general. So Jack Crawford in the movie is played by Scott Glenn, who is um, like Leonard Nimoy light, I guess, like diet <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. Like, hey, do you like weirdly like authentic and like sophisticated old dudes, but just not as weird sounding as Leonard Nimoy? And everyone's like, yeah, th- I do love those kind of old dudes. Well, here's Scott Glenn. He was also in uh, Sucker Punch. And you're like, Aha, I love Leonard Nimoy 2.0. And and in uh, in Hannibal, his character, Jack Crawford, is played by Lawrence Fishburne. And if there's something that I have to say, it's, it's that Lawrence Fishburne has the voice of Honey. Um, like, there's a reason that, like, everyone, when it comes to The Matrix, it's like... like oh, listen, yeah, we I all, love The Matrix. We all adore uh, Keanu Reeves, who doesn't, but Lawrence Fishburne's voice is just molasses smooth. Like, I just... Oh, it's so good. Um, <laughs> sorry, side Sidebar. Get off the Lawrence Fishburne train. Um, Never. So, uh, so in the TV show, um, and in Red Dragon as well, the movie and book, uh, Will Graham is is one of the main characters. Uh, and Will Graham is not an FBI agent. He's a, a teacher at Quantico. He teaches, you know, trainees of FBI's of FBI's trainees of the FBI, <laughs> um, trainees of the Fabas. <laughs> But he's not an agent. He's and he was and it's it's discussed in the show. It's pretty early on that he can't become an agent because he uh, he has a, he has some met, uh, for the for the cops for for the FBI. You have to put like a very clean mental history. No breakdowns. No hospitalizations. No medications. None of that stuff. That and seems weird. Anyway, <laughs> it does. But and then people can absolutely lie. But you know, it's it's part of like the status quo. And Will has has had some kind of interference in his past. I believe it may have been an officer involved shooting or something like that. He was a cop and he's he was now a teacher. And he does like profiling. He does criminal profiling. And uh Jack brings him in and Jack is like uses him as his little pet and like loves having somebody who's not technically an FBI agent, but we can call them an agent because I decided I have that power. I'm gonna make him an agent. Okay. And uh then there's another character, Miriam Lass, who is basically uh, uh, not even uh, I mean she's she's like Clarice in the sense that she's a, a tra- she's a, another student at the at Quantico and she goes um she she uh, is asked by Jack to assist in this case called the Chesapeake Ripper and she goes missing um and she's way more Mary Sue I would say than Clarice um because she's very much like you know she's she's very eager to please very like I'm gonna do my job I'm gonna go out and chase the leads and stuff like that whereas uh. And she and she runs it by Jack, but I think that's the characterization of Jack Crawford is that he really likes picking up people who are not yet full time agents, and like that's what his his like mo is. And I think that's a characterization of Jack Crawford that's further elaborated on in the series because it's technically a prequel. Um, oh, okay, yeah, I, no, I mean I watched. Okay, I'm not saying like. I've watched like part of one episode. It was, it's it's great if it you're very, good with gore. If you're not good with gore, it is a lot. I'm fine with gore. It it was very sexually shot. It made uh, it's it very made, aesthetic. It's it's very aesthetic. It made it made lots of tailored suits and like 
organ meats looking delicious like oh it's great like it's like it's like cannibalism but make it aesthetic and it's like absolutely we're gonna have some great shots of being tossed in flour like you'll just be human bones and it's gonna be great and it's it's like it's it's a great show and i think what it does is it really does build on the foundation of silence of lambs because silence of lambs is not so much aesthetic as it is as it is this 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 uh it's a great movie to just you know build up this this character of Clarice like Hannibal's there and Anthony Hopkins is obviously a force to be reckoned with but I think throughout the entire time I've ever watched Silence of the Lambs I'm like okay what's Clarice's next move Clarice is always and I wouldn't consider Hannibal the villain so much as um like the devil on the shoulder type situation no he's definitely not he's definitely not a villain he's sort of like the anti-hero antagonist kind of character exactly okay if this were a darker clerks he'd be the Randall character <laughs> He really would. And that's, and so I, now we can, now we, let's, let's just quickly move into Hannibal as, as Anthony Hopkins, as Hannibal, because Hannibal has been played by three different actors that I can think of at this moment. Um, Probably more, but Anthony Hopkins, Brian Cox, and uh, Mads Mikkelsen. And I didn't, I've not watched uh, the Red Dragon movie because, uh, excuse me, if I'm going to watch a movie, it's either going to be Anthony (laughs) Anthony ha- Anthony Hannibal. <laughs> Anthony Hannibal or Hugh Hannibal. <laughs> or it's either going to be old Hannibal or Dutch Hannibal, all right? Like... I'm sorry. Oh, man. Huh. Okay, we're good. No, Um. so uh, <laughs> I literally, I know his name is Anthony Hopkins, but my brain is like, it's Anthony Hannibal, Megan. Say Anthony Hannibal. <laughs> Say it. Um. So... So Anthony Hopkins is just, I think what Anthony Hopkins does as an actor is he creates, and this speaks to, you know, the fandom idea of like, like, oh, like, we, like, Hannibal's this real person who really exists in his own. Hannibal is a creation of art by Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins probably sat with his book and sat with a journal and just created this whole person and this whole accent and this whole idea of who Hannibal was, this whole intricate personal life that you, the viewer, do not know about, but him as Hannibal, he experiences because he is in character. And this is just something that you can see because like of just like the body language, the way he holds his posture, the way he, he you know, and yeah, he does mispronounce Chianti. And you're like, and like, the, like, it's just, it's, it's great because it's all part of this very, um, fleshed out weird fucking person (laughs) yeah um just sidebar you said that there's no aesthetic in silence of the lambs and that is not true because um one of my favorite facts about the silence of the lambs is the reason the prisoners jumpsuits are blue is because it is because the director was like orange does not go well with the surroundings (laughs) (laughs) okay you know what you know what? That's fair. That's fair. I will admit that because I often consider Brooks Brothers professionally tailored suits to Mads Mikkelsen and blue jumpsuits. Like, I get it. Aesthetic. Also, Gillian Anderson is in Hannibal, the TV show as well. And every scene, her hair is perfectly quaffed. And I'm like, is Gillian Anderson allowed to look ugly in anything? Is this just, is there a law? Like, we passed it? I, I mean, uh- um, in American Gods, she's like a David Bowie type character. I still fantastic. believe that that's probably really hot to look at, though. Oh, it really is. There oh. we go. Okay. <laughs> 
but um but no i so anthony and like anthony hopkins is when i say aesthetic i mean people that like if i were to just press press mute and just watch any given episode of hannibal the tv show i'd be like yeah i don't know what's going on but everyone's real pretty uh where <laughs> you lo- you sounded so turned on <laughs> yeah yeah you guys know who what's up mads how you doing i didn't like you and dr strange but you're great in hannibal you want to get a drink sometime <laughs> Oh man! Imagine being like, "Oh, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it." Doctor Strange was most. Who watched Doctor Strange for Mads Mikkelsen? Mads Mikkelsen didn't watch Doctor Strange for him. Um, <sighs> All right, I, I certainly didn't. Anyway, so Anthony Hopkins, not Anthony Hannibal. So Anthony Hopkins creates this fully fleshed out human, and yes. it's it's and that's the thing is. So when we talk about you know having a rich interior life, even if your character is a sick psychopath. It's not meant to justify the character to the audience. It's meant to justify it to yourself. Because as an actor, when you play a villain or or a murderer or a rapist or a cannibal or possibly all three, depending on what this movie is about. Um, <coughs> Jeffrey Dahmer, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, I just caught in my throat. Um, so I... You, you have to justify your actions to yourself. Um, and that was one of the things I learned in college was that you you can be evil. You just have to, you just can't act evil. Um, and I think Anthony Hopkins does, it's weird because I think that everything he does, there's not evil in the way he says it. It's evil because his entire like character, Hannibal is just evil to his core. And I think Hannibal believes for himself that he's not. And like, he believes he's highly intellectual and everything he says is very important and he can read into people. And like his nose is like that of a bloodhound. And it's just, it's very, uh, I'm just trying to think of the right word, but it's, it's, it's like sick. Like if you, if you walked against somebody in the street and they like, well, you know, passed you and then you just went, is that the moonlight path from Bed Bath and Body Works? You'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I'd be, I'd be like, I'm getting a restraining order. <laughs> exactly. Like that in itself is just a weird thing for another human being to say out loud. Like when he goes, you're wearing Evian skin cream and you usually wear L'Or de Temps. But not today. <laughs> yeah, no. I watched that. I was like, I was like, why is this guy like every fucking incel who has ever talked to me? <laughs> it's, it's, it's. I mean, they wish. Um, they really they wish, do. They wish they had half the charm. They because at least, at least he can form fully coherent thoughts that don't involve blaming Clarice for having a uterus. Um, <laughs> whoops this just became a roast okay sorry uh and then like these other scenes like like some of the like some of the shit that hannibal does like and we're we're talking about because after he escapes like after he gives the senator the perfect description of what buffalo bill looks like he's five foot ten 180 pounds pale blue eyes blonde hair which is crazy because that's exactly what he looks like. Yeah. But um, and for me, I I'm I think that's one of my unanswered questions is how could he have guessed this at any like it's just it was such a crazy good profile to the point of like like I was in a room with him type situation. Yeah. And I mean that that's like that's the thing is um even Clarice like when she heard the description she went. The name is fake. She's like, Lewis Friend. It means iron sulfide, a.k.a. fool's gold, because we've been communicating in anagrams recently, so everything you say, I'm going to retranslate. And I love that, because that's a thing of, like, 
I'm not an idiot, buddy. Like, exactly. And that's what I love is it's it's very much so um, we I don't I don't think this was on the podcast, but we were talking about um, Death Note like over text and how Light and L are very much like in a cat and mouse like chess kind of game yeah. where it's, you know, uh, L makes a move and then Light counters really, really effectively. But then L and it's just like constant. And I would say that Clarice and Hannibal have that exact same energy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Absolutely. It is, it is just such a good, it is a chess game between two of the most intelligent people in the world. And that's what I love is it never feels, and it never feels fake. I absolutely believe as a girl who loved studying when I was in school, girl, I mean, come on. It's just, sometimes you, you like, you'll absorb knowledge like a sponge, especially if you love it. And yeah. I can imagine, and Clarice's roommate was like quizzing her and stuff. So when you have a friend that encourages you as well, you retain so much information. When you're, and especially coming from like a traumatic past that Clarice came from, I think this was her like outlet. This was her way to be like, yeah, I'm going to spend all of my time being the best I can at this field. And even then they still show her fucking up. Like uh, the, she's doing the hostage situation and the, like, the instructor comes out, points a gun to her head and he's like, you're dead, starling. You failed. And I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> that is true. Yeah, no, that's um, that's that kind of goes back to the. Um, the, the Mary Sue question and yeah I've I forgot about that yeah he wouldn't have he wouldn't have said that I, well, I my theory about my theory about Mary Sue's is like hmm, they gotta let that they gotta have one failure to show that they're not <laughs> true I mean I think also it's just like the like the FBI I mean if we're gonna compare more of the Mary Sue's it's absolutely gonna be coming from Julianne Moore and Hannibal <laughs> yeah I know Julianne Moore and Hannibal because for me like at one point in Hannibal like quick side I'm, I'm not talking about the TV show now there's a lot okay there's a lot of confusion this one's still Anthony Hopkins though but also pop Plus side, Ray Liotta's in it, and his brain gets eaten. It's fun. I laughed for that entire scene. Um, but it's because it's Ray Liotta. Like, if you've watched anything with Ray Liotta that wasn't Hannibal, and then you watched him in Hannibal, and you watched his brain get eaten, you'd be like, that's a big size for Ray. Wow. He's got a brain. <laughs> That was savage. Man, I am going to get some good fellas people to beat my <laughs> You know what? It's worth it. It's right? okay. Um, but like Julianne Moore is very much like, like everything's tearing her down. She's like, God, I keep failing. And you know, like it seems like the odds are stacked against her type situation. Whereas with, with, uh, uh, with <laughs> Julianne Moore, with um, Jodie Foster, Foster, it's yeah. it's more of a you know she's a trainee. She's just gonna have some fuck ups along the way. You're not gonna you're not gonna get an A plus in every test you take in school. That's just not how it works. Unless you're somebody who is a robot, I guess. Like I don't know anybody who ever got an A plus in every single subject, every single thing, every single test the entire time throughout like learning. There's no. always a curve. Oh, of course, of course not. You everyone's gonna have weaknesses in something. Exactly. And I think that's like, and that's why I love her match with Hannibal, because technically Hannibal does have a weakness. He was caught. The TV show touches on it. Uh, it, it the way, it's, it's, I mean, obviously, you know that he gets caught. That's the point is, so he's not, he's not, he's like, you know, out and about for a few seasons and then he gets caught in a season or whatever. And like, he's bet he's in prison. But um, it's just like, his, he's just, I think that's what, like, when he escaped the, the, the jail cell in the middle of, like, Constitution Hall, wherever the fuck he was, um, <laughs> it's just, 
it, it, it's that he's so I think that for so many people for like the cops specifically they really underestimate him they're like yes he's a cannibal but like at one point like the the cops in like where was it Tennessee were like if you treat us real nice we'll treat you real nice and I'm like this is a man who's eating people he is literally, like, devouring organs left and right. Why are we doing this? And, like, it's just such a weird thing to say because, like, now I'm not here to dehumanize prisoners in any way, shape, or form, but cannibals? Psychiatric cannibals? Well, listen, he's got a funny accent. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, you know, you sound like you're from the UK. <laughs> yeah, they're they um both. I mean, I'm not. I've never seen the Brian Cox interpretation, so. Um, I, I believe he's still he's still a British character though, and uh, oh, he is. Okay. Yeah, I think. Or well, like, Brian Cro- Brian Cox is British, or like a European character, I guess. If we're if we're expanding it in the. Uh, in the Hannibal cinematic universe. <laughs> there's a lot of them. Like, one, I just, this is what I want, like, like in the, in the amount, like, there's been as many Hannibals as there have been Spider-Men. So, like, th- what I'm proposing is a Hannibal versus Spider-Man showdown. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna Hannibal, be- turn off the dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh, man. Ooh. I don't even think we've covered the actual plot, but... Plot point, um, Hannibal gets away. <laughs> Escapes. Just does it mainly because the cops are like, hey, put your hands behind your back. We're not going to check your pockets because we trust that even though these bars are five and a half inches wide, nobody slipped you anything. Nothing. We're good. Like, we de- you definitely haven't pocketed anything. Yeah, absolutely not. And, and then and then in the, uh, then he, he contacts Clarice and uh, he, he's like, Yo, I'll leave you alone. She's like, I can't, I can't do that. And he's like, game on, bitch. And goes to chase his arch fucking nemesis from prison and go devour him. It's it's crazy because Dr. Chilton, like his, the last line of the movie is, I'm having an old friend for dinner. And you're like, wow, I get it. But also, who the fuck likes Dr. Chilton? Um, no. Nobody's like, oh, don't eat him. Everyone's like, eat him. <laughs> Please, I hate him so much. Like uh, in the TV show, Show. Now this is this is the smallest smallest spoiler, but Raúl Esparza plays uh, Doctor Chilton. My baby, he's perfect <gasps> as Doctor Chilton, him. and I just want to let you know that he is absolutely just as insufferable as the Doctor Chilton from the movie. The only difference is is Doctor Chilton in the movie is very like. Um, like, he believes that, you know, like, he, he hits on Clarice, like, in a stupid, awful amount. Like, oh, you need someone to take you around Baltimore because, you know, Quantico's only 40 minutes away from Baltimore, so you've never been here before, obviously. Like, <laughs> like just the dumbest shit. Whereas, um, Raul, he is, he's just hoity-toity, I know a lot, I'm a doctor, I'm, like, so smart, and it's great because... Um, now, uh, Dr. Chilton's in every season, so this isn't, like, it's not like he ever dies, but, like, man, oh, man, do they hate his character in the sense that, like, like, it's, it's something just, like, it's kind of like his character gets beat over the head with how much the audience hates him type situation. Ah, yes. It's the, it's the familiar, uh, Rawless Barza route. It's great. I mean, well, that's the thing is, so he was, he's in, uh, he's in the newer seasons of Law and Order SVU too, and he's, he's not insufferable. He's pretty amazing. But I think with, um, with regards to him specifically in Hannibal, 
it's just there's no way I can tell you how good he is because he's just so like it's the kind of stuff where you'd be like oh you're so cute and then like he'll talk for three and a half seconds and you'll be like I want to punch you in the teeth <laughs> it's like you're so cute and you make me so full of rage no I uh, lie I love Raul Esparza like very very much so that's gonna be his his rise from being just like on off Broadway and like tick tick boom and stuff to being on TV all of the time I'm literally like here for it and the roles he plays are just really good quality roles um I mean at the end of the day like is this is this movie problematic and probably will continue to age poorly yeah probably yeah I mean I'm certain that like when my kid grows up and if they see me watching this, they're going to be like, um, well, this you is really bad. And I'd well, be like, yeah. <laughs> you, you said it the other day about a lot of older media, especially media from the 90s that tries to tack, like, tackle like edgy issues and stuff like that. You know, it's going to age like milk and we learn, you know? I think, yeah. And that's why there's a whole category of age like milk is a lot of things. I, there's very few TV shows and movies that age like wine. I, I'd say that... Um, it's it's just it just has to do with the fact that cultural norms change and what's considered appropriate for a situation absolutely changes. Like what I'd love to talk about next week, um, because I'm I'm very fast approaching my due date and I want to talk. Now this is not a fandom. I don't think anyone's got a fandom for this, but I'd love to talk about two specific pregnancy movies that came out in the two thousands, uh, Juno and Knocked Up, uh, because these are also movies that. You look back on and you go, oh, no, did we like these? <laughs> Juno, Juno's so, uh, Juno so rough. I, I it, did a rewatch of that It is. Day. I did a rewatch of uh, Knocked Up. And and it's, it's again, it's it's like rewatching Silence of the Lambs in the sense that there's going to be things that are said that you're absolutely, as an audience member, in the year 2020 going to go, oh, why did you write that line? But how could they have known in 1990 that a line using the word transsexual wouldn't age well because in 1990 that was just what was the rhetoric that was the nomenclature that's what they called it I mean I was telling Hillary before we started recording I learned that word in college in 2012 <laughs> yeah so um it was still like a technical sort of like academic term like back then I mean in within queer communities it's like been phased out and for the transgender community some of them do still refer to like some of the older generations still refer to themselves as transsexual but it's not considered like no, the norm it's actually it's, it's, it's a label that if you want to put it on yourself that's your prerogative and your choice but it's not for others to label you as yeah exactly yeah um, and I mean, so that's and that's the and that's probably the biggest crux of the issue with Silence of the Lambs, because uh, Buffalo Bill absolutely at the end of the day is a man who kidnaps fat women, starves them so their skin gets loose and then skins them so that they, he can make a woman suit. And I just want to say, I I remember reading in a book that came out in the 2000s called, uh, I think, The Fat Girl's Guide to Life. And like she was, she was talking about how upset she was specifically that fat women were targeted, and I remember like being just as equally angry and upset. Uh, but upon review, it's like no, every serial killer has a type. Every serial killer hunts within a certain group. You know, Ted Bundy specifically chose women who had the exact same hair color, hair length, and age. No, um, they they all resembled him. Besides like one or two, they all resembled his ex fiance. Exactly. Um, with uh, with Jeffrey Dahmer. Now he didn't specifically choose like one kind of like racial group or or, or age group, but he did choose men who were vulnerable you know working men people who it was it was you know it's that's the thing is you choose vulnerable populations yeah he, in real life 
whatever a vulnerable population is, that's what you pick at. And uh, for the the late 80s, early 90s, heavier women were not like, it's not like, you know, especially if you were younger, like in your early 20s or, you know, teenage years, absolutely you were as vulnerable just as much as a sex worker was because you didn't have a boyfriend or, or a male friend who could be at your side to protect you from that kind of shit. Yeah. And so that's why I don't necessarily like, yes, do they say a lot of shit like, was she a great big fat girl or some shit like that? But it's just gonna happen. And for for me, I think it's it's not so much that also I just want to say that that uh, Buffalo Bill is one of the people who says that line. And the other person who says that line is Hannibal Lecter. So nobody at the FBI and Clarice, especially at no point do they go uh, like Clarice. I think so. I think it was um, she's talking to Hannibal and he's like talking about how she's birthy in the hips or whatever. Like he's giving this like over unnecessary expl- explanation of what the victim type is. It's and really, then she yeah. goes, all of them are. She she like she stops him in his tracks. All of them are. Continue. You're yeah. ma- you've made your point. Um, and like when she's talking to Buffalo Bill, uh, she it, again cuts him off. Yes, she was. Continue. Like it's 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 just it's it's, it's a way to because that's that's the thing is Hannibal and Buffalo Bill are using their description of the women to try and like take them down a peg. And Clarice is not here for that. She's like it was a it's a type. He hunted based on type. That is straight up it. Stop trying to act like this is something that it's not. Yeah, no, he, um, and in a way, it was actually, like, in a way, like, in a very twisted way, um, to put the power in the hands of Clarice to, like, make sure that these women who were vulnerable in society were getting the respect and the equal care that perhaps a more conventionally, like, like, a conventionally thin woman, like, would have gotten, like, for example, like, you know, how many times have you seen, like, a kidnapped victim, like, plastered all over the news, and she's gorgeous and thin and blonde? Mm-hmm. Like... Absolutely. So... It's, it's something that you see constantly. Yeah, so the senator's daughter is, like, the opposite of that. But, like, they're treating her with just as much care, and the only two characters that are bringing her down are, like, fucking serial killers. Exactly. And I think that's the thing, is that, yes... I think to any first-time viewer in the modern era watching Silence of the Lambs, it is going to kind of sting in a weird way. It's going to be like, oh, why are you using that language? Why do you say those things? And I think it's, I mean, in the same way that you wouldn't watch, I'm literally trying to think, like, you wouldn't watch anything related to, like, The Crown and, like, you know, like, The Crown, which is a more recent TV show. And if they say something weird about somebody who's, like, like it, it's just, like, maybe they may address it better, but it doesn't necessarily erase the fact that, yeah, in the 80s and early 90s, were people hateful for the weirdest shit that they didn't need to be? Absolutely. And, like, it's good to have these movies and TV shows that we can see it clearly as because we can acknowledge that and be like, all right, yeah, it was a fucked up thing to do. But then you have the TV show Hannibal, which came out in 2015. I believe, um, maybe yeah. 2014, and uh, and at no point does it really ever devolve into using um, any kind of like, I mean, it's five years, it's, it's, it's you know, it's five years old as of this year. It, it's never really a, a, a dissection of, of wrong language or wrong rhetoric. It's it's a lot of I think the biggest method in uh, the Hannibal TV show is a lot. It's a lot of uh, subtext about queer queer relationships. And, uh, you know, especially Aren't between... are like, gay for each other, like, kind of? So, it's... it's They just didn't get enough seasons to tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 
like at the end of the last season, they they're literally like dipping their toe in the gay water, and they're like, "We're gonna be real gay." And then everyone's like, "Oh, and Hannibal's canceled. Everyone, bye." <laughs> they could have ah, uh, they could have been fucking. Oh, but man. but hopefully, what this will do is um, by having Hannibal on Netflix, there's going to be a resurgence of popularity. Uh, there's going to be a Zoom call this meeting. I believe it's a it's like a reunion. Just have there been reunion shows of, uh, you know, uh, The Office and Parks and Rec and Community. There's going to be one for Hannibal this week. And uh, I think Brian Fuller is the creator of Hannibal. And I think that's also really important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Brian it's- Fuller is, is a gay man. And it's important that you... It, it, you you give these narratives. If you want a gay horror story, I am here for gay horror stories. <laughs> like, that's all I ever want. And so that's where we're getting better. This is when we say we don't like. I think when reboots happen, it's not so much that I need a reboot of like a perfect frame for frame thing. I love the idea of like what Hannibal is a prequel or an and you know an extrapolation on what the books were about, and even just like subtext, like digging into the subtext, like be like, mm, I think Will's even gayer than we first thought, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is, and that's what I love, and and you're you're able to watch the Hannibal TV show and go, this is great, but then you look back on Silence of the Lambs and you go, okay, so here's where we started, and this is where we got to, and it's 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 a progression. It's it's just like you know if someone starts drawing at ten years old and continues drawing until they're 35 i mean it's it, you're gonna have a shittier picture at 10 than you will at 35 yeah exactly but the the effort is there and like so for things to progress you have to try the first time Exactly. And I think that Silence of the Lambs hit a lot of the marks with regards to, I think, female representation, especially in law enforcement, especially in the FBI, and especially with regards to not making her this this super heroic, you know, Mary Sue can do no wrong type person, but just as an intelligent woman who doesn't need sexuality as a defining characteristic or trait. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's really... over Overall, like, watch this for a... Uh... Watch this for a spooky, if slightly problematic, time. <laughs> exactly, and I, I would also say that, um, you know, especially if you're if you're a Gen Zer, uh, if you watch this with anybody who's a millennial, Gen X, Boomer, we're all gonna like sit down and like with a big bucket of popcorn and be like, I just love. Oh my god, are we gonna watch Hannibal after this? I love Ray Liotta. Did you see him in Blow? Oh my god, he was so good. <laughs> Uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins was a very attractive young man. Did you ever see The Elephant Man? You know, John Hart was in that when he was younger. Before I think it was before the alien popped out of his chest, though. Oh, yeah. They sewed it up. It was good. Oh, my God. The <laughs> alien? Wait, was the this the alien that, like, sang, Hello, my baby. Hello, my <laughs> But, yeah, so, so, um, and then... So that's that's basically Silence of the Lambs. And next week, we're going to talk about pregnancy in like a very, you know, similar vein of things popping out of your stomach. Uh, you got to get a Spaceballs reference in there. It's great. It's going to be good. It's going to be it's going to be so good. Um, and I'm very excited because this is just some this is this is doing this uh, stuff once a week is just something that makes me very happy, especially talking about something like silly, like like how you know silence of lambs is it is it so heavy that we're we're gonna like like if somebody disagrees with us we're gonna be like my whole life is ruined how can the internet not agree it's more like uh, yeah that's that's the whole point is opinions are allowed to be different <laughs> it's like 
some, you know, this is a podcast. This is our podcast, not your podcast. If you, if you want to <laughs> forward your disagreements, please, dear fandom podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> And we'll be like, I, wow, Mark well, is red. <laughs> Mark is red. I'm going to delete your email. <laughs> oh, man. All right, guys. This is great. Oh, love you guys so much. Love you so much, Hal. I love you too, Megan. And yeah. I love you, our beautiful listeners. And um, things are starting to open up again in various states. So please uh, stay safe. Wear a and mask. wear a mask. Wear a goddamn mask. Wear a freaking mask. If somebody's about to give birth to someone who won't have an immune system, wear a mask. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Bye. Bye.